I feel like for me, I've always just thought, you know, being human is to be creative. Mm. Um, and you know, some people kind of take part in that more in their lives, but in some ways it's sort of like everything we do is creative. And I live for moments like this. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Vicarious with me, Alex Scott. And me, Karen White. And anyone else who will talk to us. <laughs> and today, that person is our great friend, Kriya Wall. Hi. Hi, <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yeah, of course. Kriya is a vocalist, musician, composer, and visual artist based in what we call Vancouver, BC, on the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. They lead their band Spindle, as well as the jazz group the Creo Wall Quartet, and perform in various contexts regularly within the local music scene. Kriya is also a visual artist and frequents local art markets, gallery exhibitions, and holds painting workshops in the community. Yes, Welcome, she Kriya. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, Kriya, before we uh, get into your background and everything that you work on and your creative expression, your creative life, we start off every episode by discussing one creative thing that we've done this week. So, Karen, what is one creative mm. thing that you've done this week? Okay, I'm starting us off. Um, the biggest thing that I've been working on all week that is kind of uh, caused me to shirk all my other responsibilities <laughs> is that I started a new knitting project, oh. um, which Kriya, you're nodding very knowingly because yes, you know how know. <laughs> how long it <laughs> takes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I started this. I started this uh, vest that Ooh. I've been meaning to knit since uh, October. I actually went and got the yarn with Kriya yes. in October. Oh my God, that's that yarn, yeah? That is that yarn. <laughs> she knows it well. And I, I, I meant to start it sooner, but I didn't have the right size needle. And, uh, and so I decided to wait until Christmas because I thought I was getting a set of needles. I didn't get it. Uh, then I decided to wait till my birthday just in case. And I got them finally. So nice. the project has commenced. What color? White. Oh. <laughs> White for Karen White. <laughs> for Karen White, yeah. No, I mean, I love brightly colored yarn. Like, I think it's so beautiful, but I know I don't wear that kind of stuff. So, you know, yeah. white, white is me. That's who mm -hmm. I am. Sure is. <laughs> sure is. Oh my gosh. What about you, Alex? Um, well, I, I must admit that the last couple of weeks I've been away and I thought I would be, I had really high hopes for my creative output while I was, um, in Saskatchewan visiting my mom and then on Bowen Island, um, with my partner. But yeah, it, it ended up being a very, both, both weeks ended up being really relaxing and just kind of hanging out and having quality time. Um, but on our last night, Chris and I did finally, jam and we played guitar we played songs together so that was my creative thing and um, we we sort of did it because we felt like we had to because we had carted both of our guitars all the way over to the <laughs> island We're like well we it's our last night like we gotta at least open them we gotta we gotta play something we gotta jam so that was my my creative thing and nice. yeah it was really fun it was what did, sweet what did you play we just played um, just our songs, basically. Yeah, just kind of like took turns and noodled around on each other's stuff. And uh, a lot of the songs <laughs> we both... Oh, no. Oh. I was 
You meant on each other's songs. Yeah, we so. both like improvised <laughs> on our own instruments a little bit while we were playing. We're um <laughs> we're we're pretty familiar with each other's songs at this point. So it was fun to just um yeah, just to listen and to play play together. And yeah, that was that was nice. my creative thing. Kriya, how about you? What what's one creative thing that you did this week? Yeah, um, this week I I had a show on Wednesday um, at Tangent with my jazz group, so that was kind of like the the thing I was focusing on all week and kind of last week too. Um, and we did a handful of my originals, which felt very it was kind of like a a new group with the new songs playing them for the first time. So it very much felt like a creative endeavor in itself, just you know, playing with others and, and putting out something new and all the anxieties that come along (laughs) with that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it was super fun. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just say who the band was because they're so amazing. Um, it was Chris Fraser on guitar and Winston Minkler on bass and Joe Poole on drums. It was a bit of like a last minute change as well because um the piano player that I usually play with Jillian Lebeck ended up getting like sick last minute so it was very much like Chris can you make this and he was like yeah and then we all came together and just like played tunes and uh my partner Thad actually sat in a little bit too so it it very much felt like a bit of just like a jam session but on a stage in like the best way so and just to yeah. uh, add a little more color to the story, because Kriya told us this um, just before we started the pod, Kriya texted Chris one hour before the gig because, <laughs> yes. because unfortunately Jillian got, got food poisoning. So yeah, it was a very yeah. sudden change. It wasn't mm-hmm. like there was no notice. So Chris is a real troop, trooper. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he was also on his bike heading mm-hmm. home from work and got my text on his watch responded like from his watch turned around (laughs) rode his bike to tangent and he also managed to like make a social media post about it in that time which i didn't even do (laughs) so he's He's he was the real professional yeah yeah yeah, very mvp mvp (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah exactly that's incredible So for the context for our listeners, Kriya is our good friend, and we all went to the same uh, music program at Cap University. We were all in the jazz program, and we're in a lot of the same classes, and we'll probably touch on that at some point during this conversation. But first, Kriya, I want to ask you, have you always considered yourself a creative person? Um, yeah, that's a really tough one for me, actually, because it's a bit of a yes and no, because um, I, I don't think I really knew that what it was I was doing was being creative. It just felt like a really natural part of growing up and kind of who I was as a person. Um, And it also kind of makes me think of more of, I know this is like really, you know, okay, a little bit more (laughs) of a philosophical take on like what creativity really is. Right. This is what we're here for. I know. (laughs) Right. So I feel like for me, I've always just thought, you know, being human is to be creative. Mm. Um, And, you know, some people kind of take part in that more in their lives. But in some ways, it's sort of like everything we do is creative in in a way. So 
I'm going to say yes, <laughs> a, a general overall yes to that. <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. yeah, like knowing you, I, I would have been shocked if you said you did not think of yourself as creative because I feel like that is such a crucial part of your identity Mm -hmm. and it just seems like something so fundamentally you I can't imagine I mean I didn't know little Kriya but I can't imagine them not being you know super creative Mm -hmm. I mean maybe you weren't as aware but that makes so Mm -hmm. much sense you didn't even know there was another way exactly yeah no that's exactly it And so as we alluded to in your intro, Kriya, we mentioned that you're a musician, a songwriter, a performer, a painter. I know you're also a very fantastic baker and cook, um, knitter, (laughs) 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 if if that wasn't obvious as well. So you're a multifaceted creative person. Um, When you were little, were were you kind of interested in those same things or, um, or, you know, was it something totally different? Was it dance? Was it writing? Yeah, some of them really stuck with me. Um, The thing that actually started everything that seems very kind of integral to all of those things was storytelling. Um, so I love to make up stories and write them. I love to read stories and kind of just like learn new things, whether it was like, you know, tangible, like knowledge or just consuming, <laughs> like, you know, culture and, and, uh, ideas and things like that. Um, so I was also always sort of like making things up. Um, and that, ventured into music really early on. I loved to write songs even in my first kind of couple years of doing things like piano lessons or choir, things like that. Do you remember your first song? Yeah. it. <laughs> I don't remember how it went or what it was really, but I do remember writing it. It was a, it was a song, just piano, no words. Mm-hmm. It was something like the enchanted forest or like the dark forest, something like that. I feel like you just still write about something. I know. I I see (laughs) it's literally the same. (laughs) Yeah. It was very like, like minor. I, I don't know. I think it was just an a minor, like using all the white notes and very like low left hand, you know, that kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I guess, um, those a lot of those things like the the baking actually was something I did really young and cooking too um that was a lot of influence from my family as well like their interests that I sort of latched on to I would just like really dive in and obsess over them yeah I loved I loved um painting as well I would do a lot of arts and crafts kind of stuff and you know, just like whatever I could get my hands on, I'd always have some like weird project going that was usually really messy and that kind of thing. Um, And this is, I guess, kind of asking you the same question, but maybe a little bit more focused on the present or, or like just as you were growing up, did you feel like you were developing these interests in tandem? Or do you feel like that you were, you would kind of pick up one and work on it for a while and then pick up another How did that work for you? Yeah. So this is very much kind of in line with my, um, my neurodivergence Mm -hmm. (laughs) and my ADHD symptoms, um, which again, I had no idea that this wasn't something everyone (laughs) sort of of did. And in some ways I think everyone does kind of go through these types of things, but maybe just not as intense as they felt with, uh, with myself. 
Um, but I had very special interests, they would call them. So I would kind of like pick a thing and do it 100% for as long as it was still interesting to me. Um, sometimes that interested leave and I would kind of move on to the next thing. And sometimes it would just never leave. And it was sort of always something I put a lot of energy and time into. And I do feel like that gave me a lot of success in things like music and art because it's something I just could never let go of. So it was a really obvious thing to kind of pursue um, in my adulthood. Um, But other things I would just like, you know, have that obsession and then suddenly I'm like looking around my room and I have like clay from 10 years ago from that like one month that I did like ceramics mm-hmm. <laughs> you know just a graveyard of yes, of like hobby hobbies that have past. yes have yeah. been given up on <laughs> mm-hmm. to pick up on the thread of hobbies that was something that Karen and I spoke of a lot um, in the last episode and just the importance of hobbies and reintroducing hobbies into into your life as an adult, especially as adults who have kind of focused in on one creative path. What have hobbies meant for you as an adult? Mm, definitely. Yeah. So I currently, um, as you kind of touched on the list of things, you know, that I do. <laughs> yeah. The list is even longer than yeah. we know. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I find that um, my motivation is a, a really big contender with all of this. Um, and sometimes I'm just not motivated to do the thing that I'm expected to do, especially if it's something you know, like I've sort of turned music into a career and I do have to have deadlines for things and I have to write a song in a certain amount of time sometimes. Um, And I find that it's really nice to have a creative outlet aside from the thing that feels hard in that moment to kind of, you know, just give myself a little bit of that, um, that like inspiring creativity instead of like the work of it. Um, So I find for me having many different things I can just grab if I'm feeling like a little off or just, you know, like I need something to stimulate (laughs) in that moment. Um, Yeah, I find that they really sort of bring each other up in in those times. Mm, So they Mm -hmm. kind of feed into each other. Yeah. Would you say Mm -hmm. your creativity is pretty, it, it works together for everything? You don't have to kind of tap into different aspects of creativity for each that's a really good question actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah I Um, (laughs) yeah I even just thinking about when you were asking I noticed that that my brain feels the same I would say when Mm. I you know play music or like do a painting or even like that sort of flow state when you're like cooking or knitting or anything like that it just feels really feels good when it feels good you know Um, So it's very similar. And I feel like the, you know, the the part of it that might be a little tricky is remembering like the skills that actually go into being proficient at the thing, like just remembering how to stir fry properly, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, like remembering how to solo on like a hard change, right? right? It's like, it's kind of the same. You just have to like tap into the right formula for the Mm -hmm. thing to come out in the right way. Yeah, that can be tricky to get into the the specifics of whatever Mm -hmm. it is you're doing. Yeah. Um, And still like, you know, want to have that sense of 
being creative and being in the moment. I think a lot of creativity, or at least what's in our head for being creative is being in the moment, being very present and going with the flow Mm -hmm. and taking that inspiration as it comes. Um, But you have to still be proficient (laughs) and know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And Um, have the time for it too. Like sometimes it's hard to just say like, I want to be creative and write a song, Mm -hmm, you know, but mm -hmm. if that takes all day and you have other commitments, then it can start to feel stressful all of a sudden and not like you can just let it happen yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. I'm so bad for starting things and then just feeling like I've gotten to a point where I've put in too much time and now something else is lurking that I need to get done or something Mm. and so I just scrap it or I just you know ditch it and forget about it really (laughs) yeah yeah that's the graveyard of hobbies right (laughs) yeah we all have our own graveyard of hobbies yeah (laughs) And how have you found essentially professionalizing these creative pursuits? So obviously we can get into how going to school for four years for music uh, affected your um, your view of your own creativity within music, maybe your own habits of, of, of music. Like how, how is that influenced by having those deadlines and having those stricter parameters around when you create and how? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find that I hear this a lot from most people that went to music school or something similar, of, you know, it kind of sucks the fun out mm-hmm. of your, <laughs> your love for, for music when you um, kind of institutionalize it. And that definitely happened for me in a lot of ways. Um, I found that it did give me kind of the structure of what it would take to have a a career in music that is actually, you know, profitable, because um, that's really hard to find. And for me, I I do a lot of teaching privately for income, so it is, you know, creative in some ways, but that definitely feels more like work than spending time on on a project for myself. So for me, it it sort of brought up a lot of questions about balance, which has always been really difficult for me because I have so many interests and I want to give to them all. And then that usually leads to some form of burning out. And then you kind of have to reevaluate, you know, where you're at with everything. But yeah, so I don't really know the answer (laughs) (laughs) to that. But (laughs) one other question I did have that was... um, jazz program specific mm-hmm. uh unlike karen and i you came into the jazz program as a jazz kid <laughs> it, yes. we, we went in a little bit about um about kind of how at cap there were sort of two camps there were like the kids who grew up you know really enjoying jazz and maybe doing jazz mm-hmm. band or jazz choir or even just you know having parents that listen to jazz and then there were the non-jazz kids in the jazz program so there was we our kind group of, yeah <laughs> we kind of fell into that you know the latter and yes. and you were in the former and so I'm curious what your experience was coming into that program and what kind of an effect did it have on your identity as a music lover as a jazz performer um and and did you kind of come up against the same sort of identity crises that that, you know, Karen and I have kind of talked about of like maybe not feeling because we were going into the program, not being jazz um, aficionados to begin with (laughs) there, you know, there was quite a a hurdle in terms of like the self-esteem or self-worth of just like, am I imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. All those things. I'm curious how, um, you know, coming from a slightly different perspective, what, what you experienced in that environment. 
Yeah, yeah. This, I, you know, I'm having all these flashbacks now. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to think about sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that's really... Um, really spot on. I, you know, I had the experience in high school and before of just sort of knowing, you know, what jazz was and actually practicing jazz a lot growing up. Um, and I loved it. It was one of those obsessions that I had really. Um, so for me going into it, uh, I didn't know that again, I didn't know that other people weren't like that. <laughs> so it was it was actually very shocking for me to realize that I was one of the few that actually had, you know, n- not necessarily the experience of that sort of um, environment, but just sort of that like, like I wanted to be a jazz musician after that program. I didn't know that other people didn't want to do that after the program, that it was for other reasons and that yeah. those are totally valid. I, I would you say know? like... Maybe I'm wrong, but the majority yeah, didn't. Yeah, I would right? say too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know for me, my um, motivation for going into the jazz program because before the jazz program, I did a contemporary music program, and I, I because I was primarily doing my own songwriting, I did really want kind of um, a more open program. But there just aren't that many in in mm-hmm. Canada. Yeah, uh, I think there are more now. Um, but in terms of like getting a bachelor degree, like just getting a university degree it seemed like the options were jazz or um, classical. Mm -hmm. And so jazz was the more appropriate route for me. But unlike you, like I was coming into the program without the same kind of references as a student or or a person who has listened to jazz for fun and kind of has that in their memory bank and their even in their muscle memory in terms of like soloing and just having those... um, musical and also intellectual references going mm-hmm. into the program. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, kind of like the trajectory of that for me. So in the beginning, I felt like I did have um a bit of like I was a little bit ahead of the game when mm. I was in first year and even in second year. So um I felt like I I could succeed without trying as hard, which is great for me. <laughs> you know. Um And I kind of like, I learned different things. I learned things about people a lot more and about kind of like fitting in to, uh, to the environment and stuff like that. Um, but I did find that because I had that prior knowledge, um, I don't know if this was really valid or if it was just kind of coming from myself, but I did feel pressure to do better or to, you know, be on top of everything, you know, kind of, uh, have a role of sort of even helping other people out with things sometimes, which was tough because my, you know, my mental health and my neurodivergence kind of needed other things. It wasn't necessarily the academics that were the thing that was difficult for me. So it was, it was hard to find balance there and to find the right um, energy to kind of like focus in on the right stuff. And it did lead to kind of a pretty heavy burnout in like third and fourth year. And I know probably both of you remember barely seeing me. Yeah. <laughs> you remember not remembering. <laughs> yeah, not remembering yeah. you much mm-hmm. in, the, in that environment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you could just go into that a little bit, like what what did that look like for you in terms of I guess the self-reflection that happens when you're in in those lows or or even just feeling overwhelmed or or just incapable of of maintaining like that daily schedule how did 
how did you kind of uncover or and or if it wasn't uncovering cope with those difficulties that you maybe didn't like have the language for yet or have Mm -hmm. the you know perspective of yet yeah yeah it definitely felt like like the coping was lack of coping Mm -hmm. (laughs) um a lot of it was kind of like I I only had the energy to do a certain amount of things every day so when you know things were a little bit easier for me starting out the program I didn't have to give as much energy to those things and I could still get by um without really noticing the side effects of how that was all working for me at the time. But once it it was starting to learn new information in those later years, that's kind of when it started to hit me that that I didn't have the capacity to do both, to do the the daily functioning <laughs> and to show up and and you know, do the tests and do the classes and be in social environments and things like that. So, yeah, so it was kind of like prioritizing um, when I did need to go for the marks and and for, you know, just being able to get through that program. And then when the priority was staying at home and sleeping or like just kind of recovering from that, that energy crisis that I was going through. And to be fair, I mean, I know, I know your mental health uh, mm-hmm. played a big part in that, but also you were working pretty <laughs> heavily and in full-time school and mm-hmm. not able to do anything else. Yeah, exactly. I I had a, a part-time job that I would have to go to basically after school every day. Just had like, you know, a couple days off where my classes were too late to go. So even though I had days off, it was like, I didn't really have days off from everything. Blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> now that you were working. Because yeah. our program was so intense and we mm-hmm. were there from like sunup to sundown most days. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I did the full course load every year. I did the degree mm-hmm. in four years. I think there was one point where I was taking 13 courses at <sighs> once because I, I wanted to do the ensembles too. I wanted to do everything. And mm. I didn't really have that capacity to know that I should back off. Right. Um, <laughs> or that it was okay to, you know, take a break from things like work or school. And it, you know, it wouldn't have been a bad thing if I did it in five years. Lots of people did it in five. Lots of people did it in seven or eight. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think I just kind of set that... Um, set that goal for myself and and I wasn't able to budge on it really I didn't even know what that would feel like to budge on it so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a tough one yeah it kind of goes back to your to your comment earlier about just wanting to do so many different different creative things right and maybe not knowing necessarily how to how to channel that into or to prioritize which things are worth your creative energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been a thing in, in recent years that sort of has been my goal is just to realize when I do need rest in the moment and not after it's too late. <laughs> like, I, I should have probably yeah, <laughs> taken yeah. that day off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's always um, it's always a hard one for a lot of musicians and artists that are self-employed workers as well, because you know you have to be working a certain amount to even uh, quantify that rest to be able to you know make it still happen. 
So, and and mm-hmm. on top of that too, we often have, especially as teacher or, you know, private lesson teachers, we have odd hours. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I definitely found that challenging, um, when I wouldn't start work until three thirty. So you do have all these hours in the day, but it's not, it's really difficult to make that feel restful because you know, you are going to still be working for six hours. It just starts much later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to circle back, uh, to talk about energy for a second and, and to, I just wanted to dive in a little bit, um, with your neurodivergence and kind of discovering that for yourself and some of the challenges that were maybe unique to your experience in school that were not specific to like the course load and the information, but like, yeah, the social aspect and, um, what were some of the first, I guess, like for lack of a better term, like symptoms that you really noticed that, you know, were, were maybe challenges, but even just like brought to your attention of like, oh, this is, this seems different for me than for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the main one in, in a school context is definitely the attention. Um, I noticed that in a lecture, it was really hard to sustain any type of focus. And I sort of made up for that earlier on with already knowing the materials. <laughs> so I could just kind of skim, you know, mm-hmm. not have to be there like attentively um, very often. And it still worked out fine for me. But then as soon as I had to actually go through the process of learning new things, I felt like I had to spend, you know, twice the amount of time as anybody else because I often didn't get everything from a lecture. So I would have to do notes at home or I would have to sort of relearn concepts on my own in a different way. And if I struggled with that or just didn't have time, I would just have to kind of wing it and hope for the best, sort of like rely on what I already knew about it to, you know, make it happen for me. So yeah, that that was a, a struggle for sure, especially not knowing why it was happening and sort of just thinking I was like, just not as smart or, you know, just didn't get things as well as other people, especially being told that I was good and smart for a long time. It, it kind of took a big blow, um, like self-esteem wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of going back to like, you know, Karen and I had some identity things around like the content and like what, what we were learning and our lack of context. But for you, it seems like the challenges of self-worth were really about the learning and like how, how you learn and that self, you know, how you self-identify as like, I'm a smart kid. And then, (laughs) and then having to kind of, or just calling that into question for yourself must've been pretty like upsetting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know it, it is, um, a common thing for a lot of neurodivergence as well as in, you know, kids that grew up as females too, because they're usually the quieter type that have an ability to focus on certain things that, you know, the boys (laughs) couldn't, or they're more hyperactive and that kind of thing. It's just sort of like a common statistic. And, you know, when you're sort of told that you're gifted (laughs) or whatever that may be in your childhood, um, it really sort of develops an identity that can easily be crushed once you <laughs> get Step to out in yeah, the real world. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious when you were growing up, so you obviously were very creative. You were doing these creative things mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you like gravitated towards things that your family did. Like, did you come from yeah. a creative household? Did you feel like you were very nurtured into that 
sort of environment, encouraged? Did you have like teachers that? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like I grew up in a bit of a funny (laughs) situation, I'll say. Um, But my mom was a singer. Um, My stepdad was a chef. My dad played guitar and drums and like loved to sort of like play you know, so I had a lot of really um, good influences for creativity from all of them, which was which was really important, I think. Obviously, they like valued mm-hmm. creativity a lot. Totally. Yeah. Um, and they also, you know, because they had me quite young and uh, didn't have a lot of experience just with, you know, like having a kid in kindergarten in your 20s. That's mm-hmm. like pretty crazy thought for me (laughs) (laughs) so I think uh, when they saw you know that I did have a lot of strengths in a lot of areas they really wanted to kind of support that because they were excited for that you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's nice I don't think you know I mean I, I can't speak for anyone else but it seems that parents really love creativity in their kids until it sort of distracts from other things potentially (laughs) right like other more important quotations more important qualities that parents value yeah it's nice that you you felt you know encouraged and that's obviously why you thought it was so normal normal Mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah I was kind of touching on that idea too I was also lucky that um I had you know high academics throughout this time I was really into school and learning from an early age, so it felt really easy to put energy towards that kind of thing. Uh, so it never, you know, even though I had all these interests that were extremely distracting, <laughs> it never did take away from that grade at the end of the day. So I never had to go through that experience of, you know, I know you love music so much, but you're failing this thing. We need to change, you know, tactics here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that, really speaks to why you're able to maintain and be and be highly proficient in in all these different artistic and non-artistic areas as well. I know you're you're back to school, you're in a new program <laughs> and not not specifically music related. Um, and uh, to circle back to kind of professionalizing your creative pursuit, you are also professionalizing your art. You've got, you know, essentially your own small business with with your art. Can you want to talk about that and like how you found and created your own style of painting and you went on to develop workshops, offer local workshops and sell your art in brick and mortar stores and pop up art shows so that's that's no small thing. You know, yeah. that's quite quite a quite a process. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, saying it like that, I'm like, wow. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, so let me myself. let me just mm-hmm. distill that down because I know I just rattled off a bunch. Let's start <laughs> kind of from the beginning. You mentioned that you were into painting from a young age, but you have a very specific style. It's it's a pouring style, so it's abs most of it's abstract. Mm-hmm. Not all of it's completely abstract, but how did you discover that for yourself and de- and kind of hone your skill and develop your own style? Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I felt like, you know, I always loved to paint um, and it, it felt like for a long time I was looking for that perfect sort of medium that fit me and sort of what I was feeling and how I could just sort of express that. And I can't even really remember how I discovered pouring. It must have just been from 
some like Instagram video, you know, because it, it went through its very popular stage a few years ago, especially during the pandemic too, when people were kind of looking for avenues to, to create at home. And I tried it and I was just like, oh, okay, this is, this is it. This is that thing. Yeah. And similar sort of, <laughs> you know, projection. I got obsessed with it, spent a ton of money on supplies <laughs> and then just did it mostly for fun and for myself for a while. And I started, you know, giving them away to, to family and friends and things like that. And then something that I'm sort of discovering with hobbies is that if I have the capacity to monetize on them a little <laughs> bit and at least kind of allow them to pay for themselves because hobbies are so expensive <laughs> at the end of the day, I want to try that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with painting, uh, specifically, once I started selling them, I sort of realized that, uh, people really liked them and it was, you know, it was kind of easy to just like apply for for a gallery or um, like a, an art pop-up and things like that. And I usually kind of got in right away and could just set myself up and sell a couple things. And that would usually, you know, just allow me to continue it without feeling a dent for the for the money. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I kind of just kept on, you know, trying to see what I could do with it and, and things were just becoming like pretty, pretty okay. Like success wise. So it's definitely like, I picture it as a bit of a side project still. Um, and I do sell paintings online on my website and I have them in uh, oh yeah, which is uh, kriapaints.ca. Yes. Um, yeah, I've got an Instagram that's kriapaints as well that you can see all that. It'll be know. linked in the show notes. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> Check, that out. Check that out. Yeah, so I, I sell that way and I usually do, you know, a few sort of pop-up things a year. Um, I really love to do Vancouver Pride when it happens. feels like it really kind of brings everything together for me. And, the best yeah. you made the best pours for last year's pride. Yeah. Oh, they were <laughs> Thank beautiful. You. Yeah, no, I love um just like the fluidity of it and you know, doing colors of like the pride flags and like different different things like that just like makes so much sense to me. So yeah, I do I do things like that all the time, but it's something that I don't like to make my main focus because it can get a little exhausting. <laughs> so it's something that I can always gravitate towards if I'm feeling it, but still have, you know, a handful of pieces that I can sell online or at, at a, an event if I want to take part in it. Nice. Mm -hmm. And to piggyback off of what you just said about pride and fluidity, mm -hmm. you know, gender identity has been, it's, I mean, obviously we're all on our own kind of gender and sexuality journey and, and discovery and spectrum. But I know that's been something that's been developing for you over the last few years. And I'm wondering if you could touch on if and how that's affected any of your creative expression, whether that says you as a performer or, or even the content that you are creating, whether that's painting, but maybe more specifically songwriting. I, I, I'm making some assumptions here. but <laughs> Yeah, no, that's totally true, that. though. Um, definitely. I... Yeah, I feel like the the main thing for me with sort of coming out as non-binary um, has been just allowing myself to be more comfortable in spaces. I just feel like 
more like myself, like every time, you know, somebody just acknowledges it and is just so supportive. And when you feel more comfortable and like whole as a person, like, of course, your your art is going to reflect that, you know. So especially with my group Spindle, where I write all the materials, I found that as my sort of gender sexuality journey has become more open and just more um, at ease within myself, like my writing has, has kind of changed and, and developed in a lot of ways. And the way I perform feels a lot more open as well. Um, I'm sure both of you remember like that early university Kriya with like long blonde hair that like <laughs> just like stood there like a statue and like didn't move. <laughs> just like... Trying to get you to dance, <laughs> quote unquote dance for a group performance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... It's always a struggle. Totally. Yeah. And now I just, I feel like I, I can do, I can, I, this is so silly, but I feel like I can do anything, you know, it just, I'm just like, I am me. I'm not trying to put on a thing, whether I knew it or not. It definitely seems like that now, um, reflecting back on it. Like I don't have to be that person and I can just be okay with who I am. And Mm -hmm. you did just post on social media a photo of you of your graduation photo, Mm -hmm. your high school graduation. And so um, do you have any, what what advice would you give to your 17-year-old self? Yeah, this feels very drag race to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I need to pull up the photo. What would you say? I'm looking at it. There's tears in her eyes. Yeah, Yeah. no, I am. yeah, that that really hits because that was that was literally that era of me sort of trying to find like almost like happiness with just being a girl, like a real girl, you know? And I I never found that and it was so hard to to like maintain that energy to just like being something that that just didn't resonate really. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't really know what it was. But I I had hints of it, especially growing up uh, as a kid. Like for a long time, I I had decided that I wanted to be a boy when I was like kindergarten age. Um, was this a, something you vocalized? I you? I told like one or two friends, um, and I I had like comments about about being a boy a lot too, because I you know wanted to wear boys clothes all the time. I wanted to have short hair and sometimes I'd get mistaken for a boy or sometimes kids at school would be like, are you a boy or a girl? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And still I teach kids and I do get that question, (laughs) but now I'm like, yes. (laughs) Right. Now you lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, I just, I guess, okay, advice. Advice for (laughs) 17-year-old Kriya, I think it's mostly just to like, just to like look inwards just that little bit more, you know, instead of like trying to please the outside, kind of fitting into a mold, whether it be, you know, the straight mold or the cisgendered mold or even the, you know, neurotypical molds. Like you don't have to be that. And it is painful sometimes, you know, to face others when you want to be yourself, but they don't get that. Um, But it's worth it, I would say, because the people that support you, they're going to be there if they truly do support you. And those that don't, 
it doesn't, you know, it sucks, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. So, yeah. We are going to wrap this up pretty quickly, but because this podcast is about creativity and about maintaining a creative life, one thing that we endeavor to chat to our guests about is the habits that they've developed over you know the course of their creative lives to maintain their creativity or to support it and I know something you've mentioned a couple times is energy so I'd love if you could give us some you know uh, anything that you've gleaned over over the years of your experience of maintaining or, or recuperating energy and then the second thing is um, you've mentioned a, a lot about obsessing over something <laughs> and I know that's what? pretty pretty typical of um you know it's it's, it's typical of ADHD right mm-hmm. so managing your obsessions would be kind of a question that I have but oh god yeah, and, <laughs> and even just more broadly like what are some habits that you've developed over over your life of um that help fuel your creative output mm-hmm. yeah I guess with the the obsessions like I have been um, grateful that a lot of my obsessions are healthy in some ways, you know, or good obsessions, you know, it's not like I'm, I don't know, a gambler or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think like just sort of addressing moderation in some way, like even if you can't really control it in the moment, um, trying to be reflective, uh, can just sort of put that thought into your head for the next time. So that, that's really helped me just sort of, um, realize when I'm in a mood (laughs) that I can't break, you know? And I I think the big thing for me and for most people that I talk to about any form of like energy is just being able to take rest for yourself. Cause sometimes we do know that we need it, but we just can't really get there or like, address it in a way that seems like it's doable for things like money or, you know, just like your, your career path or your success and things like that. And I, I really do think that those things, you know, sometimes can't be helped, but they're not as important as sustaining yourself. Cause you're not going to be able to do any of those things if you can't take that moment just to rest and recover from whatever it is you're going through. For me, that can often look like really little things, like just knowing that I like to go on a walk or have a bath, you know, or not focus in on something that feels really effortful or like work, like just like chatting with a friend or something, you know, can just feel really freeing sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just finding those little things that might just make it feel that much better in a moment and then working on that too, not just the, the hard stuff, but like working on what does feel really good and restful for your experience. To mm-hmm. just put a little fine point on what, what you were finishing off with was like allowing yourself pleasure and, mm-hmm. and, va- and valuing it, prioritizing it, even in those small things like a walk, mm-hmm. yeah. something that feels like regenerative or relaxing like a bath and just making time for it. Yeah. And, you know, we, we often, yeah, put pressure on ourselves to keep creating, right. And, and, um, like we need to be doing that constantly. It's, it's like a constant state of being that we have to achieve, but I'm sure you found that moderation, you know, kind of breeds that creativity as well. Right. And allows you to really 
hone in on your ideas. I'm just assuming, but <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Yeah. It sometimes feels like you, you know, if you stop, you're going to like lose it or mm-hmm. something. Right. But if you just tr- try to stop one time, <laughs> you, just once. Yeah, you might realize that it can actually make it better the next time you go back to it, you know? And I think one thing mm-hmm. that you, I mean, we've, we've touched on this a bunch already, but the fact that you have so many creative pursuits and just being able to diversify and maybe go from one, whichever one you're feeling in the moment, right? And creativity breeds creativity, right? Yeah, I, I, I imagine that that's something you found to inspire your creativity in music and the, your career by just finding it in other aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can definitely like take a break from that thing that's stressing you out, but you don't have to take a break from being creative altogether if it would feel good to, you know, just like paint a thing or... make some cupcakes (laughs) I don't know that always feels good right (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and I guess the lack of self-consciousness of being willing to try because I think that can I know for me personally that stopped me a lot especially with visual art as an adult like just not giving myself the room to try and make something bad, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think being open to all of these different avenues like you have been, it really shows an openness with yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that translates to, you know, an openness with your, with you know, self-acceptance, whether that's accepting kind of the neurodivergence or like the ways that you might be processing differently than other people, gender identity, and then yeah, just being open to these avenues of Mm self-expression. Yeah, it's definitely something that I've had to work on is just like being okay with being that open in public, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because I've always like felt that it's almost like a childlike I want to try. I want to do it, you know, like all the time. (laughs) Um, But it would almost feel wrong to share that sometimes, right? Getting too excited (laughs) about stuff. Right. Trying to curb your excitement for for whatever like protection mm-hmm. yeah of, of your ideas or mm-hmm. yeah that's something I actually I really admire about you and I know I know you know from knowing you for a long time that that's something you've worked on um just expressing yourself and you know and being comfortable in yourself but I've always uh, admired your ability to just kind of dive head first and do the <laughs> do the thing that inspires you and just you know try it out and um, I I question myself all the time and stop myself from starting so many things and um, you've always been someone I see who is just gonna just gonna give it a go whether you whether you share it with others or not right like you you'll always try and the more I think as you've been growing into yourself the more comfortable you're being with you've become to to share that and it's it's really great because it's beautiful I mean the things that you do you're you're so freaking good at this (laughs) I mean we talked actually Alex and I Alex and I talked about in our, in our last episode, when we were talking about our creative thing of the week, we talked about you oh, playing. 
Oh, yeah, you've already been brought up here. Wow. We talked about you at the house show that Alex's mm, partner yeah. uh, put on and playing bass and performing <laughs> with upright bass after playing it for a month. Yeah. And the fact that you are able to just go for it and... Yeah, it's 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 very cool, everyone. <laughs> it's very cool. Well, thank you. I don't really know what to say to, say to that. Not a question in there, but I just want you to know. Not a question, Aww. just a compliment. Just yeah. a compliment. I'll take it. <laughs> One uh, last question that I've got before we wrap up with our creative recommendations is: What role has friendship played in your creativity or your creative life? Mm, yeah, that's um. That's something I've I've learned kind of since moving here. Like I definitely had had some good friends growing up, but just you know, being so worried about what you put out there when you're especially like a teenager, like I just ha- didn't really feel that sort of creative connection in a way. I think the the biggest kind of creative friendship I have is with my partner, Thad. Yeah, he's he's just like so important to my creative process. I've learned like over these past 4 or 5 years. And I think a lot of it is like acceptance of one another, just like being able to bring an idea and know that he's he's going to be so open, but also not like, you know, kind of looking out for like, "Ooh, do I say what I really think?" Like I know he's always going to be really honest with me in like the best way. Yeah. So I find that I usually work alone when I make a thing. Um, but that sort of area where you start to show people <laughs> and you kind of need that little bit of support <laughs> to be able to really get to that step. Um, that's like super crucial because you, you know, you just feel like what you're doing is right no matter what it is or if it's like good or bad, that's kind of, you know, objectively like something different, but just being okay to share is, is so important. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you are in a lot of, a big group of people. I mean, Spindle, mm-hmm. how many members? There's seven, seven members in mm-hmm. Spindle. Same kind of thing. Like I feel so comfortable just bringing new pieces and it always amazes me how they're so into just like, okay, like, let's do it. You know, even if I bring this like super like messed up, like (laughs) hard to read, like, you know, disaster of a song, (laughs) but I'm like, it'll be good. I swear. And then it it is. is. For listeners who haven't heard Korea's music, please go check it out. Um, their music is very, very, very beautiful. It makes so much sense, but it is very sophisticated and intelligent and unique and yeah wouldn't uh couldn't recommend it more highly and of course it'll be linked in the show notes and um have you got any releases coming up that you want to share yeah i do have um another single release in the works um i don't have a date yet because I'm setting my own deadline and that's impossible sometimes (laughs) um (laughs) but it should be out by june i will say Nice. June is my goal that I've just set for myself in this right moment. now. Right now, it's June. It's coming out in June. You heard it here first. Yes, June. exclusive. Yeah, pod exclusive. Pod exclusive. All right. So with that, Kriya, can you take us home with one of your creative recommendations? Mm, okay. Um, I didn't know what I was going to say for this part, 
And I, th- I feel like I've realized as just through the podcast while we've been talking, <laughs> um, I feel like my recommendation is, <laughs> is to take creative rest. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, you know, could look like complete rest, just like not doing anything just for like a moment, taking some time like for you to reflect or trying like taking a break from the creative thing you're working on that might be causing you some stress with something new. Just just to do it once. Nice. Mm-hmm. nice. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. I will try that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> taking, taking a break from that knitting to yeah. go. Oh, yeah. They need a big break. <laughs> go pull out that KitchenAid. Yeah. <laughs> go pull out that sewing machine. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Hopefully. I'm just lightly trolling Karen. <laughs> The my graveyard of hobbies. If that wasn't if that wasn't obvious to the <laughs> listeners, um, I do have one creative um, recommendation. Like last week, it is another film. When uh, I was on Bowen, we watched um, the movie "The Last Black Man in San Francisco," which I believe was released in 2019, and it's just one of the most beautiful films I've seen as of late. It's a, a heartbreaking story. And it's semi-autobiographical, and the man who stars in it also helped write and produce it with his producing partner, like one of his oldest friends. And it's it touches on Black identity, gentrification, inherited wealth, or lack thereof, uh, I guess, like, identity expression for, for Black men in terms of, like, expectation and roles and acceptance um, self-discovery. It, it hits on so many things and it was such a beautiful movie. It was really sad, but there's still an element of hope and just this thread of love that is woven throughout it, whether it's love for this character's house that he's trying to maintain and trying to essentially repossess. Um, there's a beautiful love story in, 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 um, in the form of friendship between these two best friends who are working on this thing together. It's also a beautiful movie in terms of um, creativity. His best friend is a playwright and just um, an artist. Like He's sketching, he's painting, he's always creating, and he's collaborating with his grandfather, which I found so beautiful and <laughs> sweet. Um, so would just highly recommend, if you haven't checked out that flick, to definitely put it on the list. And yeah, with that, I want to thank you so much for being here with us, Korea. Thank yes. you for having me. Yay. Thank you, Korea. <laughs> this has been such an awesome talk. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot, the three of us. So <laughs> it's been, you know, I think we were really excited to get you on and um, put it down, you know, have it in recorded memory. Yes, <laughs> yes. For our scrapbook in our old age. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Our audio scrapbook. Yes. Yeah. This is a new thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been Vicarious. I've been Alex. I've been Karen. I've been Kriya. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>